Hi, and welcome to Healing All the Things, a podcast dedicated to creating brave space and weekly conversations around healing all the things and learning to take care of your whole self so that you can live your best life. I'm your host, Coach Rita, a professional certified life coach and trauma-informed wellness practitioner. For more information and additional resources, you can visit my website at www.ritajohnston.com. I cannot tell you how excited I am about today's episode, today's session. Today, I have a special guest, the first guest on the podcast, Allison Thompson, and I'm so honored to have her on. Allison and I had the pleasure of meeting on Instagram a couple of years ago, and I love Allison's work around healing and restorative justice. There's so much healing that needs to happen in this country, especially around race. So I hope that you enjoy our very candid and open conversation about race and being able to navigate through when we don't fit into those boxes. So grab a cup of coffee, some tea, a pen and paper, some notes. This is a really juicy conversation. And Allison dropped so many truth bombs and wisdom on us. It was phenomenal. Now, in case you're not familiar with Allison, she is a writer. She just released her first book, Notes on Becoming, and she's also the founder of a community in St. Louis called Mixed Feelings, which she will share more in this episode. Enjoy. Uh, One of the reasons that I wanted to have you on is because I constantly have this conversation with my clients, and I constantly get messages on social media about... um, about healing self, about feeling like we don't fit in and trying to figure out what our identity is in the world and, and the healing and the growth that comes with when you don't fit into these boxes that society says, these are the boxes that you should fit in. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I feel like most of my life I've really like straddled identities and I've had a hard time sort of saying like, I am this, or like this sort of like tribalism behind labels and Uh stuff. And it always frustrated me. And I think growing up, especially around being multiracial, my dad is black and my mom is white. um, I, started to internalize that belonging meant sameness that I needed to be the same as the people around me that I needed to identify in the same way that they did look the same way they did be interested in the same things or sound the same way. Um, And it was because like so often, especially once I got to middle school and you're really asking those questions of like who am I and therefore who am I going to hang out with I had to also ask that around race because there was some mixture of kids and I was at a pretty diverse school but there's a lot of like self-segregation that was happening and so it was literally this decision of like do I hang out with the black kids or the white kids and you know I I, I found with each 
each group that I tried to spend time with, they always like pointed out the thing that was different about me. And I was just so tired of like people pointing out how my hair was different or my skin tone or the way that I spoke. And, um, and so I saw myself sort of like accommodating and like trying to cope and survive to those conditions. And, um, And I eventually felt like pretty like alienated and rejected um, by a lot of um, black folks that I was hanging with. Not everyone, but it was just like a really common experience that was really painful. And so like my little self was like, I don't want to keep being hurt. And Mm -hmm. I gravitated um, towards the like white kids that I went to school with. Um, But I still found difficulty there and people continuing to point out how it's different and so I noticed that like I started it was also like uh, I was trying to be attractive to boys and stuff and (laughs) it was like all of the all this swirl of like trying to like belong and fit in and be beautiful and be connected like okay race is like a really big thing for a child to have to like navigate and think through and like I didn't really get it like my parents didn't really talk to us much about it growing up. And so it was just like a lot of me figuring it out. And I remember even just like a couple of years ago, I was like um, back at my parents' house with my sister and my dad was like, we realized that we didn't really talk to you guys about like your experiences of being mixed growing up. Like, you did not. <laughs> Thank you for the acknowledgement. Yeah. You know, and it was like through me, like starting, you know, this meetup that I have for multiracial folks that they're like, oh, I didn't realize that you had like all of these experiences and like struggles there. But yeah, I think basically like I, I changed myself to, to fit in and just sort of like be invisible basically is is what I was trying to do and like assimilating to this like white adjacent palatable person that um yeah just could like be myself and not sort of always be like slightly alienated and slightly like put out of the group but um yeah I mean I I eventually had to come around again and like heal my relationship with blackness heal my relationship with um with my my parents and my ancestry and my identity and just realizing like um all of these you know labels that I'm I'm navigating were created by somebody else you know Mm -hmm. and that there's this you know all of these nuances that I was existing in and also navigating queerness and I couldn't really quite acknowledge that because I I grew up uh, like fundamentalist evangelical Christian and so there are just like a lot of ways that um, I was told that my identity and like myself was like very secondary to to God and to like serving other people. And so I didn't really even have space or language to, to navigate identity, to do my own identity formation. I was just given like, this is how you're supposed to live. This is what is expected of you. Mm -hmm. This is what we perceive of you. And I internalized so much of that, whether it was expectations or people's perceptions of me. And so really just being able to like, 
to step outside of that and saying like, I have power and agency to kind of create this whole other thing. Like people don't know what to do with somebody who's multiracial and, and it kind of gives you this, this power to say like, I could try to like slip into like one or, you know, one of these categories or like, what if I'm something else? completely different and like what if we all are and we're all just like giving into these um these stereotypes and these expectations of the labels that have been handed to us um and, and so it's like it's it's really hard especially because okay. they're sorry Siri was talking listening to me and talking to me um <clears throat> yeah so I'm forgetting the like original question. I feel like I'm. Oh gosh, no, you answered it. It's so much more (laughs) like this is so yummy. And I want to dive in. The original question was just speaking more around the journey of finding yourself when you don't fit into these boxes. And I, I love how you mentioned feeling invisible. That's something that I hear a lot is feeling lonely, feeling isolated, feeling like you're not seen. And Mm -hmm. I don't know about you. Um, For me, I didn't really have the language of Mm -hmm. recognizing everything that you just said. Mm -hmm. So can you speak more on, Allison, the um, internalization for those that are listening that are internalizing? What are some ways that they can identify that they're doing that or how that shows up for them? Mm, Yeah. I mean, I think it's really tricky to like, um, to notice the water that we're, that we're swimming in. And I don't think it was until, um, yeah, I just started to listen to, to other people's stories. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and I think paying attention to my body and my voice, like, when, which was also really difficult, I think, growing up religious, because there are so many voices that are, that you're listening out for, whether it's, like, God or the devil or the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. or yourself, and I was taught not to really listen to that inner voice, because it would, like, tempt me, or it was deceptive, or would lead me astray from what God's will was for my life. And so I, I think over time, I think my body was just like really crying out and I, you know, would wake up in the middle of the night with like thoughts popping into my head or words or phrases or things like that. And um, I think I also just, I began to, to notice that, um, the larger story that I was in. I think I was in a, in a bubble of, um, of growing up in mostly white suburbs. And so it was kind of difficult for me to notice like what was going on inside of me until I, I, I left and I was able to see, um, a diversity of, of experiences and, and identities and kind of other people exploring and, and playing around with, who they were and how they expressed themselves um and I um in undergrad I studied sociology and they started to talk about 
gender and race and all of these things being social constructions. And so I started, that helped me to give, get more language to like, oh, that's why I struggled so much when I was younger. I think it's hard mm-hmm. to notice when you're in the midst of it. And so yeah. it is really helpful to like expose yourself to like to stories and to, to research and understanding um, and to be able to like step outside of, of society. Cause I think that's the, the point of society is to keep you kind of in this um yeah just like it socializes you to just like to fit in to be a good citizen to not really like push up against things um and yeah so I think when I started to realize that I'd really been internalizing these stereotypes that didn't feel right to me I kind of I started digging into different like typology um like assessments and I think the one that was really helpful for me was the Enneagram um oh I love that one I just picked up the book I cannot wait to crack it open it's it really it, it it really changed my life I I started to read my description and I think everything just like really broke open for me of mm. because what I love about the Enneagram is that it's not saying like this is your type and this is who you are and who you always will be it's saying these are the patterns that you've been stuck in your whole life as a result of your of your childhood of your like of your early development your personality is basically this like culmination of coping mechanisms and survival strategies and ways that you adapted to your environment when you're younger and how you internalize the world. And so for me to kind of see those patterns exposed and realizing like, so for me as a nine, I, uh, in my survival, I would just go along to get along and I would avoid conflict and um, I kind of merged into whatever, environment that I was in or relationship that I was in and um and really existed as this like suppressed survival self my entire life and I think it helps it helps me to to look back on my life and see myself in that way instead of being angry or upset with myself or like the ways that I behaved or the, you know, the fact that I straightened my hair or didn't want it, my skin to be too dark or whatever I was doing, realizing like I was acting out of survival and like mm-hmm. this deep human d- desire to, to belong and to be connected. And like, I did the best that I could with like what I had and where I existed and I couldn't really escape that environment. So I had to like survive the best way I could there. And, and as I have gotten older, as I have gotten more tools and knowledge, like I've responded to that. And, um, and so that's what was so helpful about the Enneagram is to just help me to, to realize that about myself and to begin to ask the question, okay, like what am I, suppressing and when am I doing that and who am I doing that around and why and starting to just kind of pay more attention to like what's happening in my body and when I'm with somebody when I feel a desire to like to hold back or to shrink myself or to change or adapt myself Mm -hmm. and starting to just kind of 
and take a mental log of like, what are those characteristics or what are those things that you want to say or the things that you want to do? And maybe that's actually who you are um, instead of like the coping, you know, the ways that you're like adapting and surviving right now. Like that's, that's not actually you. Oh, such good stuff. I'm going to have to go back and listen and take even more notes. I love that you brought that up. Um, I'm in the program for to become a somatic experiencing practitioner and listening to the body has been such a gateway for healing, both for me and so many others. So I love that you brought up listening to the body and picking up on those cues and paying attention to, okay, when I'm in this situation, this is how it feels and this is where I feel it and what is that trying to tell me? I love those questions that you yeah. ask. They're mm-hmm. such key questions. They're so important. And you mentioned some tools. You mentioned as you started to gain more knowledge and get more tools. So can you speak on some of the tools or the resources that have been helpful for you in healing, as well as these communities that you build? I want you to speak on that too. Um, So what are some of the resources? Yeah, um, I mean, I think for me, um, yeah, my my undergraduate studies and systems Sociology did really help a lot because um, I just remember it. Um, it began to just sort of reveal how society works and why. And so mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure like specific books and things like that um, that I read, but I know just um, through digging into soci- sociological theory and and really just um, looking into um, like the history of, of race, the history of gender, like whatever you can get your hands on, however mm-hmm. you can Google those things or find them in the library of just like, why, why was our society shaped in these ways? Like why, why does race mean this thing? And it can kind of help us to unpack that and unlearn those things for ourselves. And I think that that's been my process is like being in this state of like, a lack of awareness and just kind of like, again, like going along to get along, like not even noticing that this is weird. And then all of a sudden, you know, getting that, that, that contrast there of like, wait, this isn't right. Yeah. Um, and like, like why am I being people. asked this every yeah. time I'm like, and no one else is being asked, this is really yeah. making me feel yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I remember just sort of like all of a sudden looking around. I think, I mean, I was always aware that I was only like one of a few black or brown folks in the communities that I was in, but that was just kind of like, what am I going to do about it sort of a thing? And then it just started to become like, I think after a while, you just get like tired of it and you're like, this is not okay. Like it went from like, this is weird or this is different to like, this is not okay. And I started to just like, speak on it more or just being like I'm the only why am I the only like black person at this wedding and having friends being like I guess I just like never really thought about that before or Mm. you know and it's just so weird how we just kind of become these like zombies in our in our own lives and and it is sort of this like 
interesting thing about coming to awareness or, or waking up like there, I don't, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to like, to make yourself do it. I think that your, your, your body, your, your being kind of like brings you to that place, whether it's like fed up by a thing or, or whatever, um, that I was able to like have my, my eyes opened and then sort of getting outside insight into that helped as well. Um, and my, my professor called it the sociological imagination because I remember I went on a, a cruise and it was like I was it was completely ruined for me because I was seeing all of the like the intricacies of like how it was all this like facade and I was able to see like the kids playing across the street in these slums while these guys were playing golf on a resort and it was just this weird like why are we okay with this and you know people around me kind of being like don't don't really talk about it you're sort of like ruining the experience and don't I was cause like, trouble it, it, it's already ruined for me I should bring you guys into it because this doesn't need to be this way and my I went back and told my professor about it and she's like ah oh, the sociological imagination and so like whatever it is for you like whatever you call it like once you have your eyes opened to a thing like you can't unsee it and I think I just started to like to lean into that and just dig into to more tools of like how else have I been sort of like deceived or or tricked or kind of like playing into these things and um yeah and I think uh the sort of the next step was like the unlearning process of all those things of like once you realize what you have internalized and that it's like that it's not okay that it's dysfunctional all of those things the whole like unlearning process happening and for me it was really important to like to go to counseling to go to therapy um, and, and, and be in relationships with folks that could kind of help me to work through it. So even if I didn't have a therapist or counselor at the time, just people who are able to like, to see me, to help me to like, see beyond what I could see of myself. Um, I think those are all like really important things. And then, yeah, typology systems like Enneagram or Myers-Briggs, or I mean, I even like astrology was really helpful for me, because I remember growing up, like I wasn't really into it that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and because every time I would le- read the Leo description, which was my sun sign, I didn't resonate with it. And, um, once I'd started to like leave religion and stuff, I was like looking into astrology again. And it was after I'd been doing that work of, of being more self-aware and asking like, what am I suppressing and, and why? And I noticed that a lot of the things that I was suppressing, like were the descriptions of a Leo Mm. and I was like, Oh, that's why I didn't resonate with it because like that wasn't who I was existing as in the world and I was kind of it so it helped me to kind of like step into those things a bit more to sort of like see those descriptions and also like a celebration of those like those qualities and aspects in the world um yeah and I think honestly like Instagram has been a really helpful tool um it sort of has been my like mini 
textbook, um, just like following all kinds of um, therapists and coaches and academics and people just on their own journey of mm -hmm. like of healing and becoming more self-aware and just getting so much language and, and insight and just listening to podcasts and things like that. For me, I listen to um, podcasts on like deconstructing from religion because that was what I was working through at the time. And a lot of those talked about religious trauma syndrome and spiritual abuse and things like that and helped to just give me language for what I was, what I grew up with and, and all other ways that I was trying to survive and cope and so I think for me storytelling in addition to the, the academics and the research of just um, yeah hearing people's stories hearing language and descriptions of of what people went through and realizing oh I went through that as well and this is what they use to to heal and to cope so, yeah mm, thank you Allison you yeah. mentioned relationships and i found especially when working with clients that are healing trauma or healing childhood wounds that having a community around you and building relationships is so important and i also happen to know that you're incredible at building community <laughs> can you speak on that on how someone can go about creating the the community or having people around them like a therapist or a counselor or just a friend or how do people start to build that when when maybe they have it in the past yeah um yeah i mean i think all of the community building that i do is just a response to the community that i need and if i see that that's missing from my life um I, I kind of seek that out and sometimes I'll, I'll utilize social media to kind of like help me to like find other people that are interested in a certain thing or identify in a certain way. And so when I started um, Mixed Feelings, which is the um, meetup community building project I have for multiracial folks, I just really just put it out there on, on Instagram, like, hey, I just watched this documentary called The Loving Generation and I've listened to some of these podcasts and I'm just realizing how important it is to have community around being multiracial like does anybody else resonate with that like desire that and then just like hearing back from people about that and and if people don't necessarily have those connections like on social media or something they're like um, meetup websites and things like that where you can kind of like research people who are interested in certain things or, or identify a certain way but I think yeah it just it started out by me realizing like I'm not necessarily just gonna like happen upon the community that I need all the time it's about me like acknowledging for myself like as I get to know myself like what are my relational needs like how do I want to connect and be loved and like show up in my relationships? And then as I meet people, like um, kind of being vulnerable with folks as I feel, as I feel comfortable. But I mean, so for me, like moving to St. Louis, I was kind of starting over and I had always had this like built in community of, of the church 
and like spiritual communities and things like that and realized like that's what made it easy for me to to make friends and build community in the past and so kind of letting that go um i actually like hopped on the the dating apps um and just because they uh, some of the apps have like separate sections for like bumble has like a bff section where you can just like meet people that want to meet other friends and a lot of people are saying like I moved here, you know, for college and then all my friends moved away once we graduated. I don't know how to make friends anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's we're all kind of like becoming adults. It's like, how do you make friends if you don't want to go to a bar or a club or or whatever? And so I just started like meeting up with people that way and just putting, you know, my interests and in things in my bio and connecting with people that way and started making a lot of friends. Um just through like being really honest with folks up front. I was like, I don't really have anything to lose because it's not like we have this deep invested relationship and I'm going to be sad about losing it. It's like, I could just be like really honest. And if people latch onto that, then that's who I want to like start building community with and having friendships with. And I noticed that people were like really, um, impacted like by my vulnerability and by me like sharing my story and I never like pressured anybody to like to re return like with how with all of the details or how in depth like I told my story but it did encourage people to like to say like yeah I didn't mention in my story like I resonate with yours in this way and just like really seeing this kind of like vulnerability experiment like playing out was really beautiful um and so I was like I think I'm gonna like I'm gonna keep doing this and like have boundaries like not everybody needs to know everything mm -hmm. but I don't want to like re-closet myself or re-suppress myself as I like move into building this new community here in this city um and and then I think for me, like once I got into those relationships, it's been about this sort of like ongoing vulnerability of of saying like these are my these are my needs, like this is what I need in this moment, or like this is what I need generally. And my friend um, Christina, who is like a Instagram friend of mine as well, um, she is like really inspired me by. <clears throat> just how like specifically she is loved um, in her life. And that's because like, she's been specific about the ways that she needs to be loved and like cared for and, and asking people to show it for her in like these tangible specific ways. Um, and yeah, just realizing that like love is not sort of this like mass produced thing, but it's really this like this conversation and this relationship like between to people um, because like the way that I need to be loved and the way that somebody else can show up looks different from the next person in our interpersonal connection. Um, yeah, so I think it's been, it's been scary to sort of do that like ongoing vulnerability of saying like, I need this again, or like mm -hmm. depending on what you're asking for, like it may be easy to like ask for a ride versus asking for money or asking somebody to cuddle with you or that you can stay with somebody or, you know, it's like, it depends on what our, our fears are and, and all of those things and who the person that we're asking is and, and taking those first steps of like, 
uh, of seeing how people are going to respond because like just because you ask for something doesn't mean somebody can or wants to show up in that way and I think that's what's really scary for us is like the rejection that comes from like from putting ourselves out there because it's already scary to say like I need help yeah and then for somebody to say no I can't help you it's like okay you're sort of like affirming my fears and I don't think I want to do this again so it's like for me I had this like mantra on my on my phone for a long time when I was doing a lot of this initial work that just said stay open stay open stay open and just like all of these moments when I could have like shut myself down and like closed myself off and like isolated myself which I still do that but it would, I would have this reminder of like, hey, like, it's okay. Like, you don't need to completely like close yourself off to people or like maybe that person like said no in this way, but it doesn't mean they're rejecting relationship with you or rejecting you fully Mm -hmm. and realizing like what, yeah, just what boundary work looks like. Um, And for me, because I didn't have um, great boundaries growing up, and, um, you know, just like dealing with attachment styles and wounds and things like that. You, I realized like so much of people setting boundaries with me felt like they were rejecting me or abandoning me um, mm-hmm. instead of being able to like step back and look at the person and being like, wow, I see that they love me, but like I understand why they can't show up for me in this way and, and kind of beginning to to think through like being strategic then about the community that I'm building of like, okay, I'm noticing a pattern of like people who show up for me in this way, but I still have all of these other needs or desires in relationship. And so how can I connect with folks that are maybe like more extroverted? Cause I have a lot of introverted friends and, um, or friends that are like really great at these things or interested in these things, or maybe aren't like, super busy and overwhelmed with their lives and may have more capacity and then to take a look at myself as well and asking like how do I want to show up in relationships and and as a friend um yeah and so I think that the the strategy behind it of just looking at like not just having friends and community as people to have fun with but also looking at as this network of care Um, And what does that exchange look like? Or is everybody being cared for and and showing up and caring for for each other? So much wisdom, Allison. (laughs) Thank you. Can you share more about your meetup group and any of the other work that you're doing in the community? Yeah. Um, So when I first moved to St. Louis about a year into being here, we had um, uh, sort of the like second biggest uprising of like protests and things like that since, um, since Ferguson. And so there are a lot of actions and protests and things that were happening and being organized. And it was a lot of intense sort of traumatic situations that were happening and people kind of constantly going, going, going. Um, and there started to be a call for healing spaces. Um, and I was realizing nobody was really like actively organizing any of that, that there were like occasional like 
you know, meditation kind of things or, or yoga classes or people just offering themselves, but not sort of this um, strategic organized um, way of showing up, like how we were organizing in other ways that were more like stressful um, and intense. And so me and my friends started this project called the Foray Project. And we had folks that were um, doing activism sort of on the front lines of these really intense um, social issues that we were engaging with, whether it was going to protests or, you know, organizing these actions or showing up around policy, but also people that were social workers and teachers and um, uh, art therapists and all kinds of folks and, and just really having this conversation of like, what does activism actually mean? Like, what does it look like? And is this um, like the, the, what we're doing now, like this, this uprising that is happening is activism, it is a way of showing up, but what does this look like in the long term? Like, what does it look like to to sustainably show up what does a sustainable movement look like and it looks like us integrating that activism into our everyday lives of, of instead of saying like oh I can't show up in this way and therefore like I'm not an activist um, it, it's saying like how can I show up in my life and how can we all like collectively strategically do that and what if showing up what if activism also looked like rest and pleasure and connection and joy um, and and not sort of like a thing that you do so you can go back and do the work. Um, so we started to have these um, monthly by monthly gatherings um, that were completely free and people would come and share a meal together um, that we would source from like local businesses, um, and then we would bring in a local healer, wellness practitioner, therapist um, to, to facilitate a practice, an activity, a workshop, and just really equip people with, um, with tools that they could care for themselves, but doing it in the context of community and emphasizing that like just the act of us showing up to this space of like eating this meal together is is caring for ourselves and that like um, self-care doesn't happen in isolation it doesn't just happen in those moments of solitude when you're like taking a bath by yourself or, or whatever like that is self-care um, but it also happens in community as well and I think when we put the self in front of it it, it makes it feel really individualistic mm -hmm. um, but there are so many times that we can't take care of ourselves in the ways that we that we want to and that sometimes self-care looks like connection with another person sometimes self-care looks like asking for help from somebody else looks like asking for resources and just being connected into again a network of care mm -hmm. and so you're aware of the needs that are there and you're also aware of the resources that are available um, there um, and so for us it was like an end and a means that like in that time people were being cared for and able to show up for themselves but then they could also take those tools with them to, to take care of themselves and just realizing like the movements are not um, these sort of like separate entities um, but movements are made up of people and so the health and sustainability and the effectiveness of um, of a movement is reflected in the practices of the people. Um, and so how are we 
um, showing up for ourselves and each other better so that our work can continue um, and like have an effect. And, and I, I really feel like as things are getting harder and, and more intense or we're just exposed to more of the traumas that are happening in the world through TV and the internet and social media, and we're also dealing with our own personal traumas and that of the community around us, it can feel really exhausting, really oppressive, and we just want to kind of like tap out and just go hide in a hole. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's in, in these times that we really need to, to show up for ourselves and to show up for each other. Um, and so I think that's an important thing for me in, in when we talk about community organizing and community building, um, that again, friendships, relationships, community isn't just about like getting together and like having fun, but it's like showing up in those really hard moments as well um, and loving each other and helping each other to access that joy and pleasure again but mo moving through the grief moving through the anger the rage like sitting in that with each other as well um so we we wrapped that up about a year ago but it still like deeply shapes like the work that each of us do individually and kind of what i take with me as i continue organizing community building community is just realizing like as I get more deeply connected into this city and what's happening here, like what are the needs that I'm, I'm hearing? What are the patterns that I'm hearing of like what people need or how people are struggling or, or ways that people identify? And so I started to notice this theme that I was meeting more and more multiracial, multiethnic folks. And I was like, hey, like I have like, wanted community with these folks and they want that with each other and like realizing all these people that I was meeting didn't know each other but like okay I'm starting to like build this like group of people that I know and like all I have to do is like have all of these people show up in one space and they're connected mm -hmm. to each other and there's like the beginnings of of community um and again after I'd, I'd watched this loving generation documentary and heard some podcasts and just reflecting on my own experience of like it would be amazing if I could talk back to these people like I love hearing right. their stories I love feeling the resonance and and being affirmed but I wanted to be a conversation I want to be in relationships with folks like this um, and realize like everybody else did too and so I just put it out there like, hey, let's have a potluck or something, get together and share our stories. And every time we'd have a meetup, um, people would say like, I've never been in a group of mixed people before. It's like, we're all like in our like 20s or 30s, like, and never had this before. Like, that's yeah. really strange. But it's because we're taught to sort of like, just like pick Blend some in and identity instead exactly. of like, Honing in on like, but I'm multiracial and like, I feel like I would find community around that. Even if people are mixed in a different way, um, there's still so much like resonance and like affirmation there of our stories and our experiences. And then there's so much to learn from the diversity of those stories. Um, and I just, I really felt like that was, that has been something that has been missing from conversations, or not just around race, but as identity around identity as well um, and I think as I've been 
hearing conversations around gender and sexuality and all of those things becoming more nuanced and understanding that like the binaries that we exist within are really problematic and harmful um that it's, it go, the same is true for for race as well and i think the way that multiracial people embody that um that nuance and embody this like are kind of this embodied resistance to binaries um is something that could be really helpful in these conversations and the fact that so much of us have been um, shamed or alienated um, around um, coming forward with our stories of mm -hmm. coming forward, particularly with our, our suffering or struggles or traumas around it keeps us from getting to the place where we, um, where we're really grounded in who we are and celebrating who we are. Um, and, and so often we're, we're kind of holding back because there have been people that have suffered more than us, depending on like what our mixture is. Mm -hmm. um, and like, I don't have a reason to complain because of whatever other privileges I embody. And, and there has been a lot of, I know for me in particular, there's a lot of like shame of like, you know, I have lighter skin and like colorism is a thing. And anytime I may talk about having difficult experiences, um, people would sort of shame me out of that of like, be quiet, like darker skin folks have suffered more than you. And, and I think that there, for me in, in doing all this work around identity and experience and storytelling, like, I really just want to emphasize like there is room for all of our stories. And I think that we really internalize the, the scarcity mindsets of our society that say like there isn't room for all of us. And like when one of us is winning, then somebody else is losing. Yes. And I yes. want to say like, I acknowledge your suffering, your trauma, the disproportionate ways that you've struggled around this particular identity. And I also want to say like, I can, hold space for myself as well in and having the struggles that I've had. And I don't need to, by comparison, then like disqualify myself from, from the healing um, that I need. Um, and, and I want, I want all of us to have healing and joy and pleasure and connection. And when we sort of, yeah, play the oppression Olympics and say like, this person has suffered more. Therefore, like, I don't deserve healing. Mm -hmm. I don't deserve access to this resource, to this space. Um, like that's not good for any of us. And, and my hope is, is really pushing towards collective healing, collective liberation. Um, and not just like this group deserves it more and this group doesn't deserve it yeah. at all. Really quickly. Can you, um, I think this is such a good, segue for this can you speak on racial imposter syndrome yeah um yeah so <laughs> i i think with basically what happens when when people and i've i've noticed it not even just with multiracial folks but i think because of the specificity of what it means, of how we have defined race, and then the categories within that. Um, we have very specific stereotypes and expectations of, of people within these different racial categories. So when somebody doesn't 
operate in that way when somebody doesn't perfectly fit within that of being um, black enough or Chinese enough or Mexican enough, whether it's their skin tone, the fact that they don't speak um, the language or know how to cook the food or um, yeah, or just like, or don't look the way that they're supposed to look or be interested in the things that they're supposed to be interested in. Um, a lot, you know, oftentimes that person then internalizes the, you know, society or the relationships that they're in, those people's disappointment or disqualification of them as their own and saying, like, I, I cannot identify in this way. I can't call myself a black person. I can't call myself Mexican because I'm not really Mexican because I'm mm -hmm. not fully that way. And so mm -hmm. sort of this, like, this it's kind of pushing up against this like purebred mentality and saying, you know, or if you're a Harry Potter fan, like being a muggle, or is it, no, is it a muggle? When you're like half, one of your parents is a witch and one half, of them is I think a, it's half blood. It's half a, blood. Yeah. Yes, yeah, muggles <laughs> are just humans. But anyways, I don't know. Yeah, so it's like pushing up against like if you, if like your whole ancestry, if both of your parents aren't fully this thing, then you don't really have a right to, to claim that, um, mm -hmm. to step in. And um, so there's a lot that happens when people experience racial imposter syndrome. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of it is just experienced through a lot, a lack of, um, a lack of connection and people feel really alienated and disconnected and don't feel like they belong. And I think that sense of, um, of of rejection or alienation can like really affect people's mental health as well or it can cause people to um to give up on on that community and kind of reject that community themselves or it can cause people to like overcompensate um and just like really try to prove themselves like yes i am like i'm super black or like i'm super mexican or i'm super puerto rican mm -hmm. um whatever the case may be and i've also seen it um with folks who um are like white passing um i've seen folks struggle in that way of of not feeling like they could even come to mixed feelings to come to mm -hmm. the meetup that they couldn't even identify as mixed let alone um, you know, Mexican or Chile, and it was a lot of Latinx white passing folks that that asked me if they were allowed to come um, to the meetup, and I was like, well, that's not for me to decide, like, right. if, you, if, like, you technically, you know, are mixed with those things, and I think that that's something we definitely need to, to unpack, and so I know for me, like, I disqualified myself so often from identifying as a black person, I was like, I need to identify as mixed. It's weird that I would identify with black when I'm mixed with white. Like, how can I, how yeah. can I do that? I'm not allowed. And it's this weird experience of, you know, depending on what you're mixed with, sometimes it can be this sort of like oppressor, um, oppressed, like ancestry that's mixed in your body. And it's like, if you understand like generational trauma and just like that that ancestry work to sort of like embody those th those histories those experiences I think is is a lot um 
a lot for somebody to kind of like hold within themselves. Um, yeah. Mm. Thank you, Allison, for sharing your wisdom, your mm -hmm. expertise on healing self and identity and building community. So before yeah. we jump off, and I'll make sure to put the links in the show notes, how can people connect with you or, uh, or get a hold of your work? Yeah, so I mainly operate on Instagram um, at Allison Thompson, A-L-Y-S-O-N. Um, and I'm also on uh, Facebook and Twitter, too. And um, Mixed Feelings um, is also on all three of those platforms. Um, but you can find the link to that in, um, in my bio on Instagram. So if you just look up um, at Mixed Feelings, STL, um, you can find that. There's also a link in my bio to my Patreon, um, and I launched that this past month. Yeah, I've been really thankful for the supporters and the support around it, um, and I'm just hoping that that can help to to fund the work that I'm doing, because all the work that I'm currently doing is is unpaid and so I'm looking for grants and support from community um, to support me so I can like invest my time and energy um, and resources into that and then I'm also a writer and I have a, a book coming out um, called Notes on Becoming and um, yeah so can kind of look out for that coming out and when you support me on patreon as well it helps me because I'm self-publishing it so there's a lot of like upfront costs for me that that go into that so yeah social media is a great way to find me and you can just dm me mainly on instagram is where I'm hanging out and where most of my work is hanging out as well awesome Thank you, Allison. And next time I'm in town, I'm totally coming to mixed feelings. Yay! Love to have you. <laughs> I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you're following along on Instagram or Facebook, please tag either of us into the conversation and be sure to use the hashtag HATT podcast. Thank you for sharing this time together. And remember, we step into our power when we decide to no longer let our past control our future. Until next week, be well.